0: And how are you guys, uh, Journey Church? Good to see each of you out this morning. Uh, if you're a great guest, it is great to have you with us today. Uh, we have a lot of folks who are traveling uh, for fall break. Uh, there's a mass exodus about this time of year. And uh, what I've noticed is, is that when you get older and your kids are gone, uh, you don't notice it as much. Uh, but when you've got little kids, uh, a lot of people get away. We're glad you're here and uh, hope that you have an awesome day of worshiping together with us. We're in, we're in a series, I've been for a couple weeks now, uh, entitled The End." And we're talking about uh, heaven. We're talking about hell. The second coming. Uh, on later on, we're going to be talking about uh, what the Bible says about the second coming of Jesus. And uh, but today, we're going to be talking a little bit about hell. Now, last week uh, was funny, and it was a great week, and I got a lot of positive comments. But I don't know about today. I, you know, hell, uh, hell's falling on hard times. Nobody likes to talk about hell. So we're going to see what the Bible has to say about it, though. But first of all, I want to tell you a little story about a young woman who uh, had finally nabbed herself a man. She'd been trying a long time, didn't really have that warm personality. But she'd finally caught a guy and, uh, and kind of convinced him to marry her. And so she rushes home to tell mom. She's so excited about it. And she gets home, and she tells her mother. Her mother is kind of like her. She's kind of what you might call a shrew in olden days. And uh, she tells her mom, Mom, I finally got uh, so-and-so to marry me. And her mom said, oh, that's awesome. That is so great. And she goes, only one problem. Said, he doesn't believe in hell. And, uh, and the, the mother said, well, that is a problem. But she said, you know what? Go ahead and marry him. And when he's around us for a while, we'll convince him there's a hell. Uh, you know, I, I feel like I might be kind of in that place today trying to convince people there's a hell because people don't want to believe that. Uh, in our world today, hell is not spoken of a whole lot even though the Bible does speak a great deal about it. You know, a lot of people don't want to believe in hell. And in fact, we might even say, someone would say, well, surely a a loving Jesus would never, ever have anything to do with hell. But the reality is that the most loving man who ever lived, Jesus Christ, talked about hell uh, about 32 times. In fact, he talked more about hell than he did about heaven. And so when you think about the most loving man who ever lived, who talked about hell, who wanted us to know about hell, and who eventually died so that we would not have to experience hell, when you put all that together, you say, man, hell must be real, and it must be a more horrible place than we've ever even imagined that it might be like. See, the Bible tells us a lot about hell. You know, if the Bible says something one time, we ought to believe it. But the reality is, is that from the beginning of the Bible to the end, the Bible speaks of hell 167 times and talks a lot about not only its existence, but what it's like. But a lot of people, even Christians, have a hard time embracing that. A survey that was given a while back said, showed that a lot of people that we might think would really believe in hell probably don't. For example, the survey said that 34% of Baptists don't believe in hell 54% of uh, Presbyterians don't believe in hell. 58% of Methodists don't believe in hell. 60% of Episcopalians don't believe in hell. But what's even worse is that 71% of seminary students in seven leading seminaries said they didn't believe in heaven or hell, either one. Now that's kind of scary to turn people loose like that uh, on the church world, isn't it? Or the world at large. The reality is that we got to understand that hell is a reality. You know, we said last week that two-thirds of Americans believe in heaven, but I didn't tell you this, but only one-third of Americans believe in hell. But here's the thing, if you don't believe in hell, you can't believe in heaven either because the same book and the same Lord talks about heaven and hell and about hell more than heaven, so we got to understand that it's a reality. Now, who doesn't believe in hell? Well, there's four primarily groups who don't. One group are atheists. Atheists don't believe in God, so naturally they wouldn't believe in hell. They would think that when you died, that was all of it. We talked about that last week, being a naturalist. If you were a naturalist, you don't believe there's anything past death at all. But atheists kind of believe that, probably are naturalists as well. And atheists don't believe there's a God. But, you know, the reality is, is that scientists say that the most intelligent person only knows about 2% of, of all truth. In other words, uh, if you were the brightest person ever, you'd only know 2%. There would be 98% of reality and truth that you didn't know if you were the smartest person in the world. So what I would say to an atheist is, hey, if, if you are, let's say you're the smartest person ever and there's 98% of the world you don't know. Isn't there a possibility in that 98% of knowledge that there could be a God? Probably, it's a good chance of that. Uh, other people who might fall in this category would be agnostics who say that they don't know if there is a God or not. That's much more honest to say, I don't know if there's a God. Maybe in your knowledge you don't understand that, but understand the Bible says that the fool says in his heart that there is no God. The second group of people that would not believe in hell would probably be the annihilationist. And this is a theory that's out there. Annihilation kind of has the idea that good people go to heaven, yes, that's wonderful, but bad people, when they die, they just or, or people who aren't Christians, they just cease to exist. Now, that's kind of inconsistent when you think about it. Their soul is a soul, whether it's a righteous soul or not, that we do have a future in eternity. But annihilations believe that uh, unbelievers just cease to exist, or that after a little while in hell, they might concede that some would go to hell, but that after that, people would cease to exist, a soul would cease to exist in hell. And what we're going to see in the Bible is that hell is as real and as eternal as heaven is. Heaven is unending, infinity, hell is infinity as well. The third group of people who might not believe in hell would be the ultimate reconciliationist. And these are people who believe that ultimately everybody's going to go to heaven. Some people might go to hell for a while, but then they will kind of pay their dues, and then they'll go to heaven. One of the theories that have come of this is the idea of purgatory. That people are in hell for a while or in a place that, you know, kind of looks like hell but uh, or a waiting place. And they can be prayed out and then go to heaven. But the reality is that word is not in the Bible and there's zero biblical evidence or basis for that. Now the reconciliations are very optimistic because they believe that even Satan himself one day will be reconciled to God and he'll be in heaven as well. But here's what the Bible teaches, is that nobody who is in hell is going to relocate to heaven, and nobody who is in heaven is going to relocate to hell. It is not going to happen. The Bible's very clear that death, there is a death, and then there is a judgment. And then the fourth group that might not believe would be the universalists that believe that everybody goes to heaven. And a lot of prosperity preachers fall along this line. They would never acknowledge that anybody would go to hell. It's just not politically correct or wise in their mind to say that somebody might go to hell. One of them famously says, I'm for everybody. You may know who that is. I'm for everybody. Well, I'm for everybody too, but my heart is that I'm for everybody to come to know Jesus, to be saved. Not to optimistically say Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about. Everybody's going to end up in heaven because that isn't true. The Bible's very clear about heaven. We talked last week. And it's also very clear about hell and it begins with the fact that it is a reality. And the Bible implies that more people will be in hell than are in heaven. Now, that's a harsh reality, isn't it? But that's exactly what the Bible says about hell. In fact, hell is the natural default of eternity for every person. It is the natural direction that we're going to go. In other words, if you do not change the natural course of your eternity then you will end up in hell. Why? Because the Bible says that the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, but the way to life is the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to eternal life. So this morning we're going to be talking about what the Bible says. We're going to kind of limit our, 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 our study here to one chapter of the Bible, one book, Luke chapter 16. Uh, I referenced this last week talking in heaven a little bit, but there's also a lot there Uh, That talks about what hell might be like. And we're going to study on that a little bit. Luke chapter 16. uh, Beginning with verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple. And and fine linen. And lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus. Covered with sores. And longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came. And licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died. And the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus at his side. Now, first of all, I want you to see that this is not a parable. A lot of stories that Jesus told were very vague. They were parables. You know, he said, imagine this, or the kingdom is like this. This is not a parable. This is a true story. It is not vague at all. In fact, one of the characters even has a very clear name. His name is Lazarus. Now, to clarify, this Lazarus is not the same Lazarus that Jesus was a good friend of Jesus that he raised from the dead. Lazarus was a pretty common name in that day. This event actually happened. What happened is both of them lived, and then they died. And when they did, Lazarus, the poor man, was in heaven, not because he was poor, but because he was godly. The rich man was in hell, not because he was rich, but because he was wicked. And Jesus said that the rich man was now in hell, now he had nothing, now he was broken, and he was in torment. In fact, that word is used twice in the scripture, so we'll read in a moment, and the word agony is, is used twice as well. But the word that they use is the word Hades, which is Greek for hell. So what Jesus is saying, there is a hell, and this man is there after living a selfish and wicked life. And when he was in hell, he was in agony. He was in torment. You know, when the Bible talks about hell, it uses the idea of fire. It's kind of what we think about, you know, hell, the fires of hell. In fact, 32 times in the Bible, that concept of fire is used there. Now, there's all sorts of analogies about what hell might be like. You know, I've heard people say, well, you know, hell's nothing for me because I've lived a life of hell. Let me tell you, that person is very naive because hell is a lot worse than anything this world is going to offer, even though your life may have been very, very difficult. Someone gave me a cartoon last week that said uh, that that hell was kind of outdated. Now hell was nothing but walking on Lego pieces all the time. And if you've ever done that in the dark, you, you might say, well, that sounds like hell a little bit. I was joking, saying I don't like meetings a lot. I said hell is nothing but a series of meetings, one after the other, one after the other, uh, you know, other people say, well, hell's this and hell is that. But, you know, the Bible says that hell has a lot to do with fire. There will be fire in hell. In fact, Jesus said 19 times that there would be fire in hell. And, you know, there's a lot of ways to get hurt. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been hurt a lot of those ways. Uh, a lot of times when I, when I leave the house, Lori's like, no, just don't get hurt today, all right? You know, don't break something, you know, because uh, I've done a, a couple of dumb things. Uh, But being burnt is one of the worst ways of of hurting. I mean, it is very, very painful. And so when you think about pain, that doesn't go away. Sometimes a burn hurts more. The longer, you know, you're burnt, the more it hurts. And so when the Bible talks of pain, it's a pretty accurate way what hell might be like. So the rich man was in hell and he was suffering. And there was something intuitive about it in that he knew it was eternal, and he knew it was, was permanent. And so while he craw- calls out to, uh, for some help, he knows that he can't get out. He doesn't ask to get out. But there are some things that he's wanting. There are a couple things from his, this experience that we can learn about hell. And the first one is that hell, there is a desperate need to be comforted. That those in hell desperately want comfort. So let's pick up the story. So he called out to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm that has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot nor can anyone cross over from there to, you, to us. So he says, can, can you please, and he doesn't ask for a bucket of water. He doesn't ask for a cup of water. He said, "Can I? would you just let Lazarus go and dip the tip of his finger in water and let him touch my tongue? Now, you can imagine how bad it must be if that little bit of moisture would be a relief to him. That's how serious it really would be. You know, hell is not meant to be an enjoyable place, and, and anyone who, who makes fun of it and takes it lightly and goes, oh, we're going to have a great time, they have a, not a clue of what hell is going to be like. We'll see in a few moments there's not going to be any company or any, any fun or fellowship in hell because it is punishment. In fact, Jesus said it was not designed for people, it was designed for as an ultimate place of punishment for the devil and his angels. He never meant for people to go there, but they're going to share in this fate if they choose to reject his offer of salvation. And so hell is meant to be horrible. We also see that heaven and hell are not accessible from each other. Abraham said a great chasm, or think of a valley, or divide is between them. Now, before Jesus died, there seems to be, uh, things seem to have changed a little bit. Before Jesus died, there seems to have been that paradise and Hades were closer to each other, and they were visible, you know, because the rich man looks over this divide, and he actually is talking to Lazarus and and Abraham on the other side. They were visible, but not interaccessible. But the Bible says that after Jesus died and before his ascension, he descended into hell, he released the godly saints uh, in paradise, and he took them to heaven with him. That's in Ephesians chapter 2, if you want to read that. So the fact in hell, that people are in hell, um, is something that God never intended for it to be. And obviously that breaks God's heart, but, but it was a place that if people choose to go, they're going to join Satan and the angels there and be totally separated from God. So here's the thing, God did not prepare hell for you, but he is preparing heaven for you even as we speak. And heaven is a place of eternal joy and comfort but hell is a place of intense discomfort. That's the first thing we learn. The second thing we learn from this is those in hell express deep concern for those who are still alive. Last week we asked the question, will people in heaven know what's going on on the earth? And uh, my conclusion, I think what the Bible teaches is that yes, there is a great cloud of witnesses that are watching over us. Uh, I don't remember who it was, uh, but somebody said they didn't like to think of that because they had a godly grandparent, I believe, that that had lived and died, and, and they, did, they could not accept the fact that their grandparent was watching the way they were living their life, which sp- says something to me, doesn't it, <laughs> that they need to change. But but the Bible says in Hebrews 12 about the great cloud of witnesses that are watching us. So I believe there's an awareness in eternity, while we're still on the earth, of people who are still alive. But anyway, here's what happened in the account of the uh, in Luke chapter 16. Abraham answered, uh, excuse me, the rich man answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said to them, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, then they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead." You know, it wasn't like, hey, come on down because the party's great. It wasn't that at all. In fact, he was pleading with Abraham to allow Lazarus to go back. he knows he can't go back, but he wants Lazarus to go back and, and tell his family, please don't let my family come down here. You know, I don't know what your experiences are with people, but I got a feeling that all of us have probably been hurt. Someone has wronged you in the past. And what is natural is that we want that person to suffer and be punished, but I will tell you the reality of hell is not anything you would wish on your worst enemy, because you would never want anybody to experience regardless of what they had done uh, here upon the earth. Now, I believe, you know, last week we said that God will take away all of the sadness in our, in our hearts in heaven. There'll be no tears there regardless of our losses or, uh, you know, what's been happened to us. We will not have hatred or anger Anything that would make us sad in heaven, but I think the only regret that could possibly be in heaven would be our regret that we did not warn others, that we care about, that we really, you know, that that we would never want to suffer hell. You know, and and isn't that odd how we talk about everything? We talk about the weather, we talk about the wildcats, we talk about politics, as crazy as that is right now, we talk about local gossip, we talk about each other, don't we? But we oftentimes don't talk about the most important topic, which is salvation. And if we could kind of, you know, just separate the clouds and think about what's really important, we would never discuss those minor issues. We would talk, you know, maybe uh, until everything else is resolved, the important things. But how important it is salvation to be saved? How important it is to avoid hell and how easy it really is? But the rich man was in such agony. And I think part of that was because he was bearing responsibility for influencing other people. I don't know if he was the older of the brothers or what, but maybe they were following right along behind him, and he knew that. And he just wanted someone to go down and warn them because he knew that if they didn't change, they would soon be with him as well. The reality is is that hell is beyond, I think, our ability to describe. And, and, And fire is just one way to kind of experience how bad it could really be. Hell will be so much worse than that, though, because hell is not one-dimensional. It's not just physical pain. It is much, much more. It's physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, suffering in every, every way. In fact, I wanted to share with you some things that that I think are an important part of our life that will be missing in hell, a part of our mental state uh, of having it together, but those things will not be in hell. For example, the first one of those is light. You know, we don't realize how important light is to us. I I don't know about you, but on a gloomy day, I feel worse. You know, I I like light. There's something about light that kind of raises your mind, you know. And people who live in areas where they have long periods of darkness, like Alaska, they have to have artificial light because light is important to our sense of balance and peace of mind, depression, balance, direction, clarity. But hell is described as a place of utter darkness. Utter darkness. There there will be fire, but there will not be light from the fire. Why? Because there is utter, utter, total darkness. We won't see anyone or anything, and that is frightening. It's terrifying, isn't it? You know, several years ago, I was, um, I was hunting one morning, and you know, with deer hunting, you usually have to get up early in the morning to go, which is one of the drawbacks of it, but I, it was early in the morning, and I'd gotten up, and I was walking out, you know, to this place behind our, our home. I walked out of our, from our home there, and uh, I, I'd gotten out there, and I was, you know, I tried to be as quiet as possible and not use the light any more than I have to because obviously deer that are there are going to you know, be frightened by that. And so I was walking in the dark a lot, so I was moving out there and using it only when I had to get there. I got into this area, not only was it total dark, no moon that night at all, but also I walked into a cedar thicket, and the trees were really, really heavy. And the deer were using that, so I'm thinking, if I can just slip in the edge of that and set down, when, I, when, the, when it gets daylight, i got a great chance of seeing them move through there. So that was my plan, so I executed, I went in, got in there, and, and I leaned up, uh, uh, kind of backed into this cedar tree and just sat down. You know, I don't know if you've ever gotten out and done that, but after a while, the, the, the woods gets really quiet around you. It's just a really peaceful thing. But it was so dark, I mean, I couldn't see anything, I couldn't see my hand, hey, I couldn't see at all. And, but I was cool with that because I, I kind of knew where I was. Well, in just a few moments, I heard something behind me start crunching leaves. And a part of me is kind of excited because there's deer in this wood, you know. And when it, when it gets daylight, it's going to be great. So, but I hear this, whatever it is, start walking around behind me and crunching, crunch, 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 crunch. And so I thought, they're really close. These deer are on, which is not very realistic because it doesn't happen. They can usually smell you, but, but it's walking and it circles me all the way around me kind of out circles me and comes back, and then ends up right in front of me. And, uh, and then it started coming toward me, crunch, crunch, crunch. I had everything going through my mind, anywhere from this is going to be a really close range shot at this deer. Uh, if this happens, you know, I better get my gun down or something because uh, to like what if, this, what if this is a deer and he isn't happy with me being here and he's going to use his antlers on me to maybe this isn't a deer at all. You know, maybe this is a mountain lion, you know. Maybe I'm not hunting anymore, and there was something in me that was almost afraid to turn the light on. If you can imagine that, it's like, "Ah, if it's a deer, I don't want to scare it. If it's something else, I don't want to see it, you know? So, I mean, but that darkness was terrifying, and just on top of me, I was scooting back into this tree until the branches were poking my back, and finally, like, there's nowhere else to go. I got to know, and I flipped the light on, and my dog had followed me (laughs) from the house. And I mean, I was about ready to shoot him, but I mean, you know... That There's something terrifying about having not a clue what's around you and not having any balance, any clarity. That's terrifying. The Bible says that Jesus will be the light of heaven, but there will be total darkness. His absence will result in total darkness in hell. So no light. Number two, stability. You know, we all need something to kind of lean on sometimes. You know, you can't just walk on water. If you've ever tried to do that or stand on a surfboard or something, you know, and you have a sense of you can't get your balance. At least there's something firm there. Uh, But hell is described as an abyss, an abyss or a bottomless pit. In other words, there is nothing stable there. You will always be out of balance. You will always be falling. I mean, that's a horrible feeling to be falling all the time. Our falls don't last very long unless you're high off the ground and then you know it's going to hurt when you hit. But But the sense of being off balance and falling, even for a second, is terrifying. And you will never touch anything. You will never get your balance because you are in a bottomless pit where you're constantly off balance. The third thing that we all need is rest. We all need rest, you know. Uh, You have to have that to get balanced in life. It's amazing. You can wear yourself out. You can sit down and sleep a while and get up and go at it again, you know. But imagine what it would be like if you never had any rest in life. Here's what it says in Revelation 14. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. In other words, there's never any place to revive yourself. You never ever get any rest in hell. Constant stress, pressure, pain, being off balance. Here's the fourth thing is hope hope. You know, we're told that we can endure about anything if we have hope that things will get better. We have to have hope that, that in order to survive. People who commit suicide are the people who have been convinced by Satan that there is no hope, that things will never, ever get better. And so they end their earthly existence by taking their life. Well, there's no hope in hell, but there is no suicide either. There's no getting out of that. We might escape life here and leave everybody else to deal with it. But in hell, there is zero hope. There is no future. That's just understood. The rich man here in this parable, he didn't even think about getting out. He knew that it just wasn't simply wasn't going to happen. Forever, no exit, no suicide, no end, eternal suffering. That's what the Bible teaches. You know, Jesus used the worst words he can think of to define what this might be like. He talked about fire a lot. We, we, We discussed that. A suffering and darkness, but one of the words that he used for hell was the word Gehenna, Gehenna, and that's an unusual word, we don't use that word a lot, it's a a Hebrew word actually, but it was an an old place, it was a vibrant word picture for the people of that day, because Gehenna was actually the name of a valley that was south of the city of Jerusalem, and back in the, the Old Testament days, back when the pagans controlled the city of Jerusalem, before David took it, Uh, There was worship of a god called Moloch. Moloch was one of the pagan gods along with Baal. You probably heard of Baal. But Moloch was a pagan god. And one of the ways that the pagans worshipped him was by offering their children as sacrifices. So they had a fire that was built there in the valley of Gehenna. And they would force their children to march into the fire. They would also throw them, even babies, into the fire. That's how they they worshipped this distorted way of worshipping their god. And they said that the priest would beat drums so that the parents would not hear the screams of their children as they were dying. And so that's what Gehenna came to mind in them. And during that time, obviously, it was the words they used were weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And those are the same words that Jesus used to define what hell was like, this Gehenna, this weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth. Now later on in Jesus' day when he was on the earth, they used this valley because it had such horrible memories and, and a reputation. They would use that as a garbage dump. And so they would take all the refuge from the city out there, throw it over into the valley of Gehenna. And it would burn constantly. In fact, whenever someone was poor and didn't have somewhere to be buried, the money to bury them, they would take the bodies of the poor and throw them in the Valley of Gehenna. So there was always a fire burning, and there was always the horrible smell of flesh, burning flesh. It was a horrible place. And Jesus described in Mark chapter 9 as a place where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. So when Jesus talks about Gehenna, when you hear that, that's what you need to think about. That's the horrible place that he's describing, a place of fire and a place that one time had so much suffering and pain. So in reality, when people end up in hell, it's because they've chosen to go there. We began this series by asking, how could a loving God allow people to go to hell? And we said, you know, it's all because of his justice, because he is a God that is just and requires punishment, and he offers that. He's done everything to help prevent that, but people who reject him for a lifetime and die outside of him have chosen their own course. C.S. Lewis said, either people will say to God, thy will be done, or God will say to people, thy will be done. And we talked about how in his love, God has given us the greatest gift, which is Basically, free will to decide. And that's the greatest sign of his love for us. And then on top of that, he has given us everything that we possibly could, could need to help us avoid hell, specifically giving his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins so that we can be saved and, and be in heaven with him. God is a loving God, but we can't ignore his other attributes, one of which is his justice and the other is his holiness. So that means that where God is, there can be no sin. And so in that perspective, we have to believe that not only is God a God of love, but He's also a God of wrath and of justice, and hell is the wrath of God put into effect. You know, last week I said, the more you know about heaven, the more you want to go there, and the more you want other people to go there as well. Well, Let me say the same, similar thing about hell. The more you know about hell, the less you want to go there, and the less you want anyone that you know to go there either. But unfortunately, there will be a lot of people who are in hell. And in fact, I would venture to say that there may even be people in this room that will go to hell. Now, I say that not judgmentally, and I say that not thinking about anyone particularly for sure, but I just know how we are. There are people who doubt the reality of hell, probably in this room. There are people who, who, who think they have all the time in the world. And many of us don't. It's a reality. For many of us, we will the, the greatest regret, and we, we mentioned this last week, in hell will be that I had so many chances that I let go by. I had so many regrets. You know, we all have regrets in life, don't we? This, this past Thursday, I, I had a situation that made me regret. I was, I was helping, uh, actually I was helping Tony, by the way. I was helping Tony, we were buying, uh, got him a washing machine and I hold it in my truck, and uh, we had the uh, utility cart there. And I took, the cart off the, uh, I took the cart off the washer and got the box off from it. And the cart was behind me. I kind of forgot about it till I bumped in it, and it fell through my back glass of my window of my truck and shattered it. You know, and there was a lot of regret, like I should have not, shouldn't have done that. You know, I should have waited until I got it on the ground. You know what, but, but that's, that's a small thing. The big things in life that we really regret are looking back and saying, you know what, there was a moment, there was a moment in October 2016 that I heard and there was something in me that said, you know what, I need to do something about it. But I really had some things I had to do that day and I was busy and I thought I could do it next week and I let it go. And I really believe there will be those kind of regrets in hell. So my challenge to you today is wherever you may be in your walk with the Lord. Maybe you've never started it. If you haven't, then today is the day to do that. I would love to talk to you. You can come up and speak with me me here in a few moments. Whenever you came in, you got a card, a connection card that said, uh, I want to speak to a minister. It's right there at the bottom. Just check that, and we can talk this week or, or later on. There's any number of ways for you to respond to say, I need to talk about this. Please don't walk out the door and one day have your greatest regret of all. That would be my prayer for you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord, and uh, we know that you're, you're awesome. And these things we've talked about today, my prayer, is that everybody in this room can understand. God, I, I'm not infallible for sure. and I'm not going to say every word that I said is exactly what hell will be like, but the revelation that we have from your word is pretty clear. It's a horrible place. God, you've done everything to prevent us from having to even know how horrible it is. You've given us Jesus. And if there are those here today who have not given their life to Christ and who know without a doubt that if they left this world today, that they would be in heaven, God, then I pray that you would give them the motivation to respond in some way, to have that conversation that would help them cross cross over the line from lost to saved, of Jesus. God, we love you and we worship you and we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.